0: Uh, Speaking of the NFL, we mentioned yesterday that the uh, competition committee uh, said that they are not going to be addressing the fumble out of the end zone rule. uh, As many people complained about during the AFC playoffs, Cowboys president Stephen Jones, son of Jarrah, who is also on the competition committee, said the conversation on a potential rule change for fumbling out of the end zone died. Rule change not happening, at least in 2024. I would like to think that died means it's dead, it's never going to be considered again. It's been buried, and it will never come back. That's what died means to me. R.I.P.
1: I'm so, sure people will still want to debate it. Oh, yes,
0: there are definitely.
1: You and I can just convince people, John, to, uh, to join our side of the argument. The I, correct I mean, side, which were... I've always been on, and you finally joined me for. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's what happened. Uh, But seriously, I mean, the, the end zone is a different and unique place on the field. The rules in the end zone are different than the rules everywhere else on the field. Fumbling is no different. And I would only, everyone wants to say, consistency, consistency. I mean, there's not a lot of consistency in a lot of the rules that we already have. So yeah. don't argue consistency. Why is there
1: a two-minute warning? You know, right. like Why does the clock stop? You know, at the end of a game when they go out of bounds, but not early in the game when they go out of bounds?
0: Exactly. You know? like so
1: you can say so, the same thing about college football too. Why is there, you know, clock stopping after first downs in the last two minutes versus not the whole game?
0: So really, the That's consistency sports. argument isn't a valid argument, in my peer, in my opinion, because again, there's a lot of inconsistencies. If I touch a punt down at the one-yard line. You take over at the one-yard line. If I touch a punt down in the end zone, the ball comes out to the 20. Correct. Them's the rule. So um, instead, we should be debating, well, why is it necessary to change this? Why is it so important to change this? Is it because we don't get enough offense in our lives? I would say no. So –
1: yeah, someone who used to argue for it, now I can't understand why I ever argued for it. Yeah. If I'm being honest, I'm like,
0: why? It's Well, wasn't it because you did in you you liked to see players, you know, reaching for the pylon and doing well, those things and it would it frustrate that, you and when, when a cool play would get, you know, negated no, because of that?
1: No, it was less about cool. It, it honestly my argument was always about the consistency where if you fumble out of bounds and it goes out at the one, sure. you know, ver- you still retain possession sure. of it. But I just, I don't know, I've just changed my tune on that. Hey, real quick, uh, before we get to uh, the nugs, uh, Steve writes in on the uh, JTEC Instruction Zone Twitter feed, says, I personally despise the Big Ten's institutional arrogance, but I also don't think that the Pac-10, he wrote Pac-10, Pac-12, their playing style is going to necessarily translate very well, at least without some growing pain. See, like, I just, part of it is I think that's a little overrated. Not a little. I think it's a lot overrated. Part of it is I watched the Pac-12, and I do not think that the current iteration, RIP, of the Pac-12 was I don't think it was like this soft league, you know. I think Washington's a very good team. I think uh, Oregon's a very good team. Um, I also don't think that the Big Ten usually sees a whole lot of quarterbacks that are as good as the quarterbacks that have come out of the Pac-12 conference. Um, you know, it's it's it kind of stinks for my argument in that the teams that are joining the league right now, like who knows what the hell's going to happen with UCLA. USC is in this really awkward position right now given all the changes that they have made. Uh, and Washington, like I was going to be really bullish on Kalen DeBoer in Washington. And I feel like I can't be because everything that's changed And Jed fish. I know he turned, you know, Arizona around and he was certainly good last year. Oregon. I do buy into, but you know, we'll see, I guess.
0: Peter King, longtime NFL writer. Most recently, of course, with NBC and, um, his own site, the, uh, Football Morning in America, has decided to hang it up after 40-plus years. And he put that in his column yesterday. And we've had our fun with Pete here on the show. We still like to call him Pete. And there's a famous drop of Joss talking about, I'm Pete King and I have nuggets. Mm-hmm. And so we've always talked about his things as nuggets, his, his, his insights. But it was always one of the most fascinating reads because – of the way it covered the league, it went everywhere. His experiences, yes, his own personal experiences, um, but it was it was always a must-read column every month My Monday. name's Pete King, and I get nuggets. Yeah, yep. He gets a lot of nuggets, and we're not going to be getting any more nuggets anymore. No, no. Uh, which is which is going to be sad because, and I'll admit, I. Sometimes because the columns are so long. It's very long. And, you know, Mondays usually during the fall are spent, you know, breaking down a lot of what happened in the Nebraska game. And so there are some Mondays I don't get a chance to read it right away. But when I do, it's like, you know, once you sit down and you get into it, you really you just want to stay with it. And you're always wondering, you know, where it's gonna turn next. And Pete has always been a great storyteller. I think his expose when he rode the bus with John Madden way back in the day when he was at Sports Illustrated is still one of my favorite pieces. Um, it, it Which he a did lot a callback for
1: in his column yesterday.
0: He did. Um, yeah. He will be missed. And there, you know, he tried his best, as a lot of old scribes do, to say, hey, we still have a great future in this industry. And he named a bunch of other people who are still in it, still writing columns. But I am afraid that... When you lose somebody like this, especially at this juncture of sports media where it's more about the take factory than it is about the story factory, I do worry that when someone like this goes by the wayside that it's just another erosion away from what we got used to for a very long time and that was great stories. But now it's more about the opinions and the takes, which are fine. Obviously, we're in that business. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But for people in the take side of the business, we like the storytellers because that's where we get a lot of our takes from.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, I heard, I heard Brian Curtis say this yesterday, and Brian's of the ringer, where, like, the big NFL journalists today are like the Schefters of the world, right? And so what what does Schefter make his bones in? He makes his bones in scoops. Scoops, He gets scoops. And, like, look, the intel is great. It's nice to have the information, and we certainly quote his breaking news a lot on the show. But what made Peter King so unique still to his last Super Bowl now as a full-time journalist was that he was so respected in the NFL that he got to go into the locker room and talk to, in the case of this most recent Super Bowl, Andy Reid about the plays that they ran at the end of the game by himself. He's in there with some form of some sort of like an ops guy for the Chiefs. I think Matt Nagy might have been in there, and it's Peter King, and it's Andy Reid. And he did the same thing last year, and that was where the famed corn dog story came from, where Andy Reid told him about the play that they ran against the Eagles twice was called corn dog. Yeah. You know, the, the one in, you, you know, you mentioned the uh, the Madden story. The one that I will always think of is after the 28-3 the to 3 Super Bowl. He met Tom Brady a week later in some unnamed Montana town or whatever.
0: Ski resort.
1: Yeah, and he sat down with him for hours, and he went through everything. And it's like, I mean, I think one of the things I've always appreciated about him, John, is like, this dude has a lot of power within the league. But I never really read him thinking that he came across as being powerful. I think Schefter comes across as I know I'm powerful. I yeah. have power. Yeah. Never got that from Andy Reid. And I like that because this is a dude who is I mean, he's obviously made a lot of money covering the NFL. You know, he, he certainly has a ton of sources, a ton of intel. But he never he never came across as better than you in in the way that he would cover the league. That's so good that's point. the thing. I think we're going to miss it. I'm with you, man. Like There are people that I will read on Mondays that cover the NFL, but you want to talk about a big-picture look that gave you important stories and, and maybe better anecdotes that you wouldn't get elsewhere. That is what separated him. It's, it's easy to find someone with an opinion. I, we can find them everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, again, I say that like you do as someone who gives opinions. There are a lot of us. Peter King, though, is very different. And I'm, I'm really, I've, I've been reading him for 20 years. I'm, I'm really going to miss reading the
0: guy. And, of course, speaking of nuggets, he would always have little factoids and stats. And this one, this Andy one, one is one of my favorites. Uh, and that's a good one, too. But the results of the first 11 starts of the last two Green Bay first-round quarterbacks in their first season as starting quarterback. Aaron Rodgers in 2008, 5-6 and six record, 2,599 passing yards, plus 8 touchdown-to-interception ratio. Jordan Love this year. Same record, exact same number of passing yards, one more touchdown to interception margin. And in the first 11 games as their first year as starting quarterbacks.
1: That's incredible.
0: And it's those times, I mean, just knowing those things, it's the institutional knowledge too. I mean, he has so much institutional knowledge. He goes all the way back to the Super Bowl, the original Super Bowl champion Giants teams of the mid-80s. You know, he, he... he can tell us about the, the 49ers dynasty into the 90s, tell us about the Cowboys, about the Patriots, and it, and, it, and it stretches through all of that time. You think about it today, you know, we look at our NFL broadcasters, you know, uh, you know Al Michaels is pretty much the only one that can take us back into those days, right? Right. Everyone else, you know, granted, you know, the Joe Bucks have been around for 20 years and the Chris Collinsworths have been around for 20 years. But when you got the guys that have been around for 30 and 40 years and they just have the, all of this institutional knowledge that they bring and that expertise, you lose a lot. You lose you lose a lot. A lot.
1: Well, John, I mean, think about it. Even just on the local end, think of some of the the sports writers that we have had cover the teams
0: locally. Sure, here yeah, like Lee, no like uh, like Pivovar and like Piv. Lindley were the
1: first two people that I thought of. The institutional yep. knowledge that they had about their prospective universities. You know, obviously Chattel, he 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 has that, and I think Sam McEwen does. But Dirk Chatland no longer, you know, uh, is involved in that daily form right, of journalism. Right. And, and when you don't have those those types, it it does hurt. Um, it, it does hurt. And so, yeah, I think you're spot on with that, where we are we are losing him. And, and, I mean, I certainly don't read anybody else in the NFL that has that type of institutional knowledge. There are very good writers out there and very good columnists and very good storytellers. But he certainly was able to, to kind of combine a lot of the things that I like um, and also do it, in a, again, in a way where it was a great start to the week. Get it on Monday, kind of get a lot of information, and, and go from there. I'm I'm certainly not surprised. I'm guessing you're not either. You know, he's been doing this series all year long, 40 for 40, because this is his 40th year covering the league. And he never outright said, this is my last year, but given that he kept looking back as often as he did, yeah. I just wondered, like, oh, is this going to be the time? And sure enough, it is. He announces it in the column, and, like, there was no buildup for it, though. It wasn't like, on Sunday, I'm going to publish my column and have a big piece of news. No, he just, here came his column. No longer writing anymore. Yeah, he'll he'll definitely be missed inside of the NFL ecosphere.
0: Well, one of those guys uh, that has some of that institutional knowledge will be joining us here in about fifteen minutes, Mister Sipple. Hell yeah! And we'll <laughs> talk to him, and we'll have more on sportsmanlike conduct next, including a chance for you to get tickets to tomorrow night's Creighton Seton Hall game. Oh, oh! We'll let you know next because it's going to happen fast. It's oh, going to happen fast on sixteen twenty this zone. Big names, big games. We've got them all. 1620, The Zone.